you are listening to the Spiritual Warrior Coach with Barbara Sabin, the podcast for discovering how powerful your wisdom, compassion, and courage is. Get ready to join Barbara and her guests as they explore and offer you advice on how to reclaim your power, your energy, and your authentic self. And now, here's the host of the show, Barbara Sabin. Thank you for joining me today, and welcome to the Spiritual Warrior Coach Podcast. I am your host, Barbara Sabin, and I am here to help you reclaim your power, your energy, and your authentic self. I am a certified clinical and medical hypnotherapist, Reiki master and teacher, energy healing specialist, life coach, and best-selling author of Gentle Energy Touch, The Beginner's Guide to Hands-On Healing. You know, I have been helping my clients for over 35 years, and the older I get, hmm, the more wisdom seems to come through. So isn't it time that you believe in yourself? You know, your mind is going to provide you with your greatest challenges in life because it's so very, very powerful. So let's utilize that mind for positive thinking, creating harmony, balance, peace, love, happiness, and anything else that your heart desires, because one day the world will tap you on your shoulder and say, this is your time to shine. And speaking about shining, I am going to bring my special guest on right now. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Hi. Oh, Barbara. I'm so well. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy you are here. (laughs) So let me tell my listeners about you. Uh, Kelly Matog is a mom, Louisiana native, and an award-winning actress, writer, producer, singer, and children's book author who works in film, television, and theater. She has received multiple awards, including the Best Actress Award at Festival South and the Best Actress Award at the 48th Independent Short Film Festival. Kelly wrote a featured length film called Shapeless, which was uh, filmed in New Orleans, telling, uh, telling the story of her personal struggle with an eating disorder, which was awarded one of the only six spots in the prestigious The Gotham Institute. And, it's, and had its world premiere at the 20th annual Tribeca Festival in 2021. And Kelly also executively produced and was the lead actress of the film, which is now out, out on VOD. And Kelly also authored a children's book called Zoo, um, I think it's Crew. Yep, you got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome, how are you today? Thank you, thank you for uh, that lovely introduction. Oh, uh, you, boy, you're busy, busy, busy. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little too busy. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes, you know, busy, busy is good, but too, too busy could be a little stressful, but, you know, but let me ask you, you know, uh, usually, you know, actors, actresses, singers, writers, producers, they usually grew up knowing that this was going to be for them. Did you grow up knowing that you would be an actress? That's such a good question. <laughs> I, you know, as a really young child, I would say like four, five, um, the, my favorite way to play was playing pretend. So I was always playing pretend. I was always, you know, playing with my stuffed animals and I would also wear a lot of hats. I went through a couple of years, this, these, this phase where, whatever holiday was near, um, I would wear a corresponding hat. So I would wear like cat ears in October for Halloween, bunny ears in the spring. And, and I was just always playing a character. My mom said I was rarely Kelly. I was always like somebody else. And, um, and so that was kind of like what I really enjoyed doing, like as, as a young child. And I grew up continuing to do plays and, um, singing was a big, big part of that experience as well. And I think it's really what I loved to do the most was to sing, was to act, was to perform. Um, But your mind, as you said, is a very powerful thing. And it very much um, tricked, I don't want to say tricked me, but I think 
I doubted myself. I think I really believed a lot of the messaging that was around me um, just growing up from whoever, you know, friends, family, um, teachers, kind of saying like, you need a real job, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, being an artist is not a real job, uh, which it is a very real job, but I believe the the reverse. And so um, I sort of convinced myself that that wasn't what I should be doing and Mm. ended up going to college for journalism. And like slowly, but surely through those years, I started to find my way back to acting. It was like, what, what do I like? Like, I, okay, I don't really like doing the news or this or that, but like, what do I like about being a reporter, or this or that experience? And I really enjoyed the performance aspect and sort of playing the reporter character, but I was like, I want to play many more characters. <laughs> I don't want to just play this one for the rest of my life. And, um, so slowly but surely I sort of made my way back to really listening to my inner voice of what I really wanted to do, which was to be creative, was to be an artist. To be an artist. That's usually, we have to listen to our inner voice. It's terrifying sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I really have um, struggled a lot with like people pleasing and trying to be perfect and perfectionism growing up. And I think that especially when you put those judgments on yourself or put those limits on yourself, it can be a big challenge to listen to what you really have to say, because you're used to not um, maybe expressing yourself authentically. Mm -hmm. And then we listen to other people's words that it's, it's their way of thinking about us, but not who we really are. Exactly. But we unfortunately take that or we can take those stories on and then they feel like our thoughts, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, I had friends back East that said to me, oh, you'll never get this job at the Four Seasons or you'll never be able to write a book. What are you kidding yourself? And then I said, "Mm -mm. you know, I have the ability to do anything I set my mind to do. And I then distanced myself from quite many of them. And I said, I don't need them right now. I need to be me. And if you you do not accept me, well, that's that's not my problem. That's yours, actually. Yeah, you that's know? wise. That's really mature, Barbara. I mean, that takes a, a courage and strength and also just an awareness of what's not yours, like what's getting projected onto you, you know, their, their fear. Exactly, because they they they're afraid to express themselves or to go for that, you know, different type of uh, you know job or whatever it is. So yeah, we shouldn't be taking that uh, energy on at all. I, I say let our, you know, let let yourself be who you're meant to be, <clears throat> because eventually we do find. Well, hopefully, in in this lifetime, we do find our authentic selves. Yeah, I, I it's um. I think that's been, pro- I mean, I, I, I don't know if I could generalize and say it's the greatest lesson of our lives, but it's, it's one of the greatest lessons of our lives. And um, it can feel really scary when you're not used to doing it. So I, I think it's baby steps, which can be really frustrating when you know, feel the truth or know the truth. And you're like, oh gosh, I thought I already learned this lesson, but here it is again, you know? <laughs> baby steps. Yeah. It keeps on coming at us until we finally, that light bulb goes on in our head and say, Hmm, now I think I get it. So, you know, and I've had quite many light bulbs going on in my head. So, yeah. And I think it's an, it's an ever ending, you know, it just keeps on going and going. It just doesn't, it doesn't end for some of the things, but for most of the things it does, if we understand so, so you, you stopped being, you, were you a journalist and then you decided to go into acting? I was a journalist, like in my college career, I did like, you know, the, um, the news station, I went to Elon university in North Carolina and I did the, the news. And then I kind of realized within the first year, I was like, Ooh, I don't like the news. <laughs> like, or I just didn't like that environment. It was very, mm-hmm. I mean, look at the news today. It's, it's, um, it's hard. It was, it was constantly living in the, in the fear and the panic and the anxiety and the what's going wrong all the time. And so that was kind of the, or at least in my experience, that was the culture that I felt when I was working on the news, it was very stressful. It was very anxiety ridden. And I was just like, I don't, I don't want to keep doing this. If if that's what the news is going to feel like, which it's very important, you know, to, to be informed and to, to inform others. But I realized that it just wasn't 
what I wanted to do. And so then I transitioned to sports. So I did sports journalism and I did the um, sports show there. We, we had this contract with ESPN2 locally. So we actually, I got to work on an ESPN2 show when I was in college and I liked sports. I liked, you know, I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's a big football town. So I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed like it was a little more creative. It was a little more lighthearted. Um, but then after kind of a year or two of that, I was like, well, I don't want to keep just talking about sports forever. Like, you know, <laughs> like I'm not, that's not like my one passion in life. And so then it, it was, it's interesting how these experiences in life that you do, you almost have to sometimes learn what you don't like until you hone in on like, what do I really like? Mm -hmm. And in that experience, I realized like, okay, I like performing. I like, you know, talking to people. I like kind of being in that creative space of telling stories. Um, but what, how can I do a little more of that? And then I, in my senior year of college, I started, I got an internship in Los Angeles or between my junior and senior year of college, um, did this internship program with my, my university. And I worked on like an entertainment show, like entertainment kind of news and that was fun, but I also worked at a talent agency, like a, like an acting talent agency. It's just like the front desk girl, I would answer phones. And I was way, I felt way more drawn to the talent agency, Talents. like mm -hmm. understanding the inner workings of like that industry. And so when I got back from that, my senior year of college, I really started to quietly in my heart to be like, I think I really want to act. Like, I know I did it like way back when, but like, I think I actually want to try and do it. And took an acting class in college. And then, um, I just, I just like made the choice. I was like, okay, I'm going to give up journalism and not do anything with this <laughs> degree I've been working on for four years uh -huh. and, and, uh, moved to LA after college. But I will say, I will say I'm so thankful for my journalism mm -hmm. degree. Cause although I'm not a journalist today, what it really gave me is this ability to one, be comfortable in front of a camera and lights and crew and understand like how it all works together, how we're all creating this package, you know, to put out on TV or um, film or whatever. And, and to also um, just get that I'm so thankful that I had that experience too, is like writing, you know, I learned a lot on like how to write as well and how to film myself and how to edit and how to do these things that were really, um, really helpful in my, in the career and what I'm doing now. So when you decided to go full force into acting, you, you, you did land some acting, uh, you know, some films. I did. I mean, it's again, baby steps took, took some time, mm -hmm. but I, I went to, LA after college started taking just improv classes and acting classes and just soaking up like what it meant to be an actor. And it's almost like, even though I wasn't in grad school, it's the way I feel about that time in my life, like that year or two of just, you know, working in bars and restaurants and retail and doing those survival jobs and just going to class and really soaking in that experience. And that acting class that I ended up in really changed my life. That teacher, I think a really great teacher or mentor or guide can really change your life and can yeah. really, what he did for me was really help empower me mm -hmm. and helped me understand um, how to just put down all the things I was doing. Oh, Sorry, my dryer just went off. I don't oh, know. Oh, it's okay. Oh, I didn't even hear. <laughs> oh, but uh, you know that gave me a safe space to mm -hmm. um, be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, you went out and uh, then how did you actually yeah. get started? Oh, so in that yeah. acting class, we we started doing like showcases and plays, and through those, I got um, some of my first like agents and managers. Started going on auditions and booked a few things in. California. Uh, and at this same time, Louisiana, New Orleans was becoming this hub of filming. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm from. I'm from that area and my family's in New Orleans. And um, 
you know, they would call me and be like, you know, all this stuff is happening back at home. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in California, whatever, mom. You know, I mean, I, I love my mom. Thank you, mom. She was right though, because mm-hmm. it, yes, it was all happening. And so I um, got an agent through uh, in the Southeast market and started auditioning there and booking things there and then started to just want to go back home, want to go back to New Orleans. I don't know if any of the listeners have ever been to New Orleans, but it's a very special place. It's Mm -hmm. very artistic, eclectic, accepting, inclusive, um, supportive as, as far as like an artist community goes. And so ended up moving back to New Orleans. And that's where I really started to, to work a lot was when I was in the New Orleans, um, community. And then how did the, 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 the guitar and singing come about? You just, Oh yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, (laughs) singing was something I always did. It was something that I did from as a young child, it was kind of like, I was just always singing a song out loud, you know, as a young kid at like three, four, five. And that was something I also did in school a lot. I was in like choirs and did voice lessons. And I just really enjoyed singing. It was where I felt the safest, mm-hmm. where I felt um, the freest. And I, when I was in high school, I developed bulimia. I think the best way I can describe like how it came about is I think that I was even before that happened, trying to control everything around me, including Mm -hmm. myself. I think I believed this false narrative about myself that I was too sensitive, too emotional, too um, dramatic. (laughs) These things that maybe I'd heard from others I took on and believed. And so Mm -hmm. I believed, well, I must put a lid on all of my emotions. And I know I'm probably not alone in that feeling of feeling like you must control yourself. And um, I think you can't, you can't do that for a long time like that. You can't hold it all in. Like it's going to make you sick somehow it's got to come out. And for me, I think it manifested in bulimia. I think, um, an eating disorder, you know, I've done a lot of reflecting on this and, and research. And, and I think just in my experience or the best way I can view it is, when you're young and things don't make sense and you think that something's wrong with you, you're, you're trying to control these things you just can't control. And you don't understand yet that like there, you just can't control them. It's something about life we have to accept, but we haven't really accepted. We can't really figure that out yet. And, um, I think it was just an extreme version of trying to control things. Mm. Yeah. So I bring that up when the singing question, because it affected my singing voice. When I was in college, I was still severely bulimic, um, hadn't really gotten the help I needed yet. And um, I I had stopped singing for a few years because I wasn't in school really doing it anymore. And when I tried to do it again in the latter portion of my college career, I went to a voice lesson and I just couldn't really hit certain notes. Like my breath control was really off. I I kept like needing to take all these breaths. And that teacher recommended like, you might want to go get your vocal cords um, checked out, which I did. And that doctor asked me, you know, do you struggle with acid reflux? Like here's a picture of your vocal cords and they were all jagged. And what he did is he pulled my forearms together and put them flush and said, this is what your vocal cords should look like. But mine were all like not flush. And he asked me, you know, you struggle with acid reflux. And I couldn't answer the question. I was, I was devastated because I thought right then and there that I had ruined the one thing I loved about myself. Yeah. And I'd ruined this thing that was free and effortless and um, I couldn't face it. So I duh, I stopped singing even more. I could barely listen to music. I just pushed it deeper, dove in even deeper into being bulimic and um, really suffered for, for a few more years in that capacity of just feeling the shame 
mm-hmm. of um, that experience and not being able to share. And it, it it's been such a long process and journey, like getting back to singing, which Shapeless, the feature film is like very, very mm-hmm. much about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, how, how did you heal yourself from, from that? That's a great question. One, I will say meditation saved my life. Meditation saved my life because before that I believed every thought and feeling that came into my atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I thought they were me. I thought all those thoughts and feelings were me. And that that's just, that was my lot in life that I was just going to go back and forth and be all over the place. And I thought I was just going to be sick forever because I, I thought something was just wrong with me from the beginning. Uh, all lies that, that our mind tells us. Um, and so what meditation did is I, I learned to meditate when I was pregnant and I was pregnant and my daughter is now four and a half. Her name is Fallon. And at that point, when I was pregnant, I had thankfully gone to treatment, um, years ago, which I found healing in that treatment. Um, but I still was dealing with these relapses and and just that thinking of that controlled type negative thinking. And so when I got pregnant, um, I felt, I remember this one day, I just felt really called to like meditate. And I was just like, okay, like, what do I do? And I started researching like meditation classes. Cause that's just who I am. I love class. I love learning <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> Found a local transcendental meditation class and went. And I remember the first time I went, I I was the very first time they were like, okay, close your eyes and just try to try to do the thing. I felt this like very brief moment of peace Mm -hmm. where it all stopped and it was short, but it felt so safe and free Mm -hmm. and peaceful that I was like, how do I get more of that? (laughs) You know, like I want more of that. And so what it taught me is that we're not our thoughts and feelings, that there's something deeper underneath our heart, our soul, our peace, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so it at least introduced me to that. And I really dove in, I, I downloaded that app insight timer, which I really love and still use today where meditation teachers from all over the world can upload their own content. And I just, dove in. And it was like the more and more I would do that. And I noticed the more and more I would be able to say like, Oh wait, no, this thought or this feeling is just a thought or a feeling. It's not necessarily the truth. And I think that was the origination of how I started to heal my voice. But Mm then where it really came into play was when I started writing shapeless, which shapeless, which you, I know you mentioned in the bio is a feature film that I wrote about bulimia and about the loss of my voice. I wanted to create a character that was a singer who was really bulimic, who was losing her voice to bulimia. And how do we tell it in a way that is sensitive, respectful, and, and creative. I wanted to do it in a way that wasn't that perhaps used used magic or movie magic or surrealism to express what it feels like to live in this, this mental illness. So the singing aspect of it, I hadn't thought about really. And so I was deep in like writing and producing and getting the team together and collaborating. And then when it came down to like, we were, and this, this took like years and a lot of work and a lot of mm-hmm. time. So it finally came to we were in pre-production and it was time to like record some vocals of singing. And I just remember the director, when she told me that it was like one of those moments where like the whole, it was like a record scratch, like, like, uh, Mm -hmm. Oh God, like, Oh no. Like, what do you mean? I was so scared. I really had some mental blocks, um, and stories that I believed I can't sing anymore. I can't do it. I I've ruined it. What do you mean? Like, Oh God. And then I was like, angry. I was like, what do you mean I have to sing again? I was like, Kelly, you're the one, mate. You are the one writing this. Yeah. Like you're the one. You're the lead lead. In you got to do it. Yeah. So then it was like, well, all right. It was one of those moments you're like, I'm terrified, but like, what do we do? What do I do? Like, let's go. And I feel really thankful. Um, this is another por- part in my life where a 
a healer and a guide and a therapist really helped change my life. And this uh, local actress in town, she's also a voice therapist, Caroline Formy, an angel on earth. And um, I started to do voice therapy with her. And what she really taught me, it wasn't the traditional, like we're standing near a piano doing like, da -da 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 -da, like nothing like that. We just would lay on the floor and sing and we would intentionally sing badly. It was just any way to reconnect me to my actual voice, voice. get me out of my head. Mm -hmm. And the more I sang, the more I healed. It was the more I just would stop my brain and would just do it. The more I felt the confidence grow and that I think the meditation and finding spirituality and reconnecting to my soul and spirit and little by little singing again and more and more and more is how it started to heal. Well, yeah. And, and then the, you sang in, in the movie. I did. I did. And I'm so, I was still like when I had to record those vocals, I was terrified. I mean, absolutely just terrified. And I feel really thankful because I had supportive people around me. Mm -hmm. uh, the director, Samantha was so supportive and Caroline, who I mentioned the voice therapist and our music department was so kind and patient and incredibly talented. The, New Orleans, of course, is famous for its music. Mm -hmm. And we had these incredible musicians who came on board to compose and create music. And um, they were just really supportive and kind and sensitive and, and aware, obviously, of the background of where I was coming from. Where and so I feel, from. I felt like I, I really needed the, the support to be able to do what I did. So how, let, let me ask you, because I'm just curious, how, how was it, you know, because now you needed to relive this whole thing through the, the character that, that you were, you know, playing, how, how did you deal with all that? It was not always easy. I think on one hand, I was very prepared because I had originated the character. I'd written the character and we'd spent a lot of time in development. Um, I ended up working with a co-writer, which was amazing and our director. And it took a while to get the script to where it was ready to, to film. So in that period of time, when I was developing, what it was, is it was these vulnerable conversations with like all of these collaborators where they they would were curious and kind and say what was that like what, what did it feel mm -hmm. like to have this experience or to go through that or for, to have this happen and the more I spoke in a vulnerable honest authentic way the less I felt shame it was exactly. like my shame lessened because one I realized there was a universality to my experience whether someone had an eating disorder or not and some people did mm -hmm. or had struggled with it. Um, shame can manifest in all of us and it can create a lot of experiences for us. Mm -hmm. So that made me feel less alone. And two, I just believe in the power of vulnerability of that, that space where you feel scared and you say like, I feel scared. This is my truth. And for someone to say, I hear you, I understand you is one of the most powerful. Yeah things in our human existence. I think that, that level of, I understand. Um, so I felt ready. I felt supported. I felt like I knew this character in and out, like I'm going to, I got her, you know, I I'll be, I got this. And then production comes along and production for any of you, any listeners out there who work in the film industry, you get it. It is like intense 16 mm -hmm. hour days. Like we only had 18 days. We're an indie film self-financed. It was like, it, it was, it, you know, it was an experience. Well, and, uh, it was, <laughs> it was. And uh -huh. I was also producing and I was trying to like, just stay in my actor hat. Um, and it wasn't always easy. There were definitely, there were some days where I really had to make sure that I was safe. And those were usually the scenes where I was binging or purging. And I had to be really honest and open with the director. And thankfully I was able to communicate some needs. Like we kind of kept those days really small on set and, and I was felt like I could go there mm -hmm. because I felt safe. I think nice. safety was like the most important thing. Um, but I will say after was where I had some 
challenges coming out of it because I, I like dove into the character and I was like living in that experience Mm -hmm. and it was sort of feeding (laughs) the anxiety of the character and the paranoia of the character. And, um, afterwards I relapsed that next year, I relapsed twice or, and where it was different this time was I felt open. I felt like I could be honest about it where before I didn't feel like I could be honest. Um, but I, and I was able to get the help I needed, you know, by talking to my therapist and, and things like that and supportive people around me. Um, but I, I, it, during the actual production, I was, I was okay. You know, I think it was, I think I, why I'm bringing this up is because I'm, I guess I'm bringing the up that like how hard it is to recover from something like this and how it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. Well, it's a struggle for quite many people, especially teenagers. Oh, especially teenagers. I mean, that's where it originated for me. And so I look at my, I, I look at myself and I say, when did this come about? Like, where did it start? And I, you know, the, behaviors really started when I was about 14 or 15, but I think the, the mental behavior started way earlier, which is that perfectionism mindset. It's that control mm-hmm. mindset. It's that not good enough mindset. It's that I must do better. Always, always, always. I can't rest. It's not enough. It's that not enoughness. And then you're also trying to be perfect. So you're not really being authentic or feeling your feelings. So you're just becoming a pressure cooker and it has to release somehow. And it's like, for me, that release came through bulimia, Mm -hmm. but it's, um, it's sad. It's really hard when you think about it, when, you know, cause when I reflect back, I'm a mom now, I, I'm like, gosh, I was so young when this started. And so Fallon, my daughter was such a big motivator as far as creating shapeless, because when she was born, she was about four months old and I was holding this little baby, just loving her, you know, so unconditionally. And then all of a sudden I felt this big wave of fear of like, Oh God, she's only getting older. It's only getting bigger. It's only getting scarier. And what can I do to create a pathway for her that is not the one I went down? How can I create a safe space for her mm-hmm. that she, if she starts feeling some feelings like I do to feel safe enough to talk about them and to not hopefully engage in an eating disorder. And so that answer for me was shapeless. It was being honest. It was being awareness. Honest. It was being normalizing the conversation because I think shame keeps so many of us for not talking about Exactly. These uncomfortable topics, mm-hmm. especially as young kids, when you're feeling so confused, the world is getting bigger. You're 12, 13, 14. You, you don't feel like a kid quite anymore, but you're not really an adult and you're kind of trying to figure it all out. And it's terrifying. It is. And then you feel like you can't talk about it and you're trying to be cool and you're trying to be fit into some picture that you've maybe adopted or created in your head when it's uh, not the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sad, you know, that so many young people feel like, or, or it, I mean, it's not even like, it almost doesn't even feel like a conscious choice. It almost feels like it just, just manifests mm-hmm. from all these little things that you build up. Um, so I, I hope that shapeless can be some form of conversation for someone who feels unsafe and feels ashamed and can say, oh, wait, that that's something that I struggle with too. I've never really seen that represented before. And now I feel safe to talk about it. It was a tough film. I, t- I, I watched it and it was like, oh, you know, I mean, as a person that had, I've never been through that. And so it was, it was, uh, it was very sad to watch, you know, seeing somebody you know, struggle, let alone the fact that I knew, you know, know you, you know, but to struggle in, in that type of situation. And it was like, I felt, you know, so I felt helpless, you know, watching the film saying, oh, wow, you know, somebody needs to help, you know, how, yeah. how does this all end up, 
you know, I mean, it ended up good, you know, you know, that you healed from it. Um, but yeah, it, for myself, and like a lot of teenagers that I help uh, do have, you know, eating disorders. And unfortunately, uh, they do feel guilt and shameful. And, you know, people judge them uh, for doing whatever it is. And th they have to come to peace with it, knowing that they can heal from it if they allow themselves to and, and stop all that outside interference, you could say. Thank you yes. so much for your, for watching and for sharing. Mm -hmm. It means a lot. And I, I so resonate with what you say about like that feeling of powerlessness, because it's so hard to be the one struggling with this mental illness. I can only imagine what it feels like for someone who loves that person and wants mm -hmm. to help. help. And it's, they're like, they're both immensely challenging and I don't really have the right answer, but all I can say is like, I so understand and resonate with these young kids who feel the guilt and the shame and like something's wrong with them and that mm -hmm. they can't stop and they want to stop, but the, it's an addiction. And, um, one, you have to be the one that wants help. Like the person that's struggling, you have to kind of mm -hmm. make that conscious mm -hmm. decision. I I need, I need help or I want help. And little by little, you start to gain, you know, confidence in that you can help yourself and that it's not up to someone else to save you, but that's a hard, that's another hard, hard life lesson, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to learn. And I think the best way is to give tools where you feel like you get a break from mm -hmm that mental chatter, whether it's meditation or Reiki or going outside or finding an activity that makes you feel, um, present, present, mm -hmm. safe and present. And, and knowing that you, if you really search, you can be helped and not give up. Oh yeah. Yes. But it's, um, I, I really understand the gravity of like how mm -hmm. much it feels like you can't, like you can't, mm-hmm you can't because it feels like, okay, I'm here. How do I get all, oh, all the way over here? And, and it's like what I mentioned earlier, I think about like the baby steps, right? It's like, we can't, if we focus on like here where we've just gone cold Turkey and like, you know, whatever it is, like then when you maybe have a relapse, you're just going to feel, well, it's impossible. Right. But if you choose this, like, okay, in this moment, I'm going to choose to love myself. And for one minute, for 60 seconds, I mean, that's, that's what I had to do. I had to do it one breath at a time. I would say mm -hmm. for one breath, I choose love. Mm -hmm. And then you keep choosing love. And I, and I really feel like if I, if I like pared all of this down, self-love is what healed is me. what heals. Yes. Yes, because I didn't believe that I, I had love inside of me. And that's when I was really struggling with addiction. I think that's with most people, even for myself, uh, uh, coming out many, many years as a healer. Mm -hmm. In order for me to do that, I had to look myself in the mirror and say, Barbara, I love you. And that took a very long time for me to look and really mean Barbara, I love you. Because I would look and roll my eyes and say, yeah, right. Right. But it, I it resonate. Took a, yeah. It took a while. It's not easy. It's it's I'm st working on it still. I mean, it's not easy. And it, it, it's, it's unfortunate because when babies are born and when we come out into the world, mm -hmm. they they're made of, we're made of love, love. you know, it's yeah. just, we forget it along the way. Mm -hmm. I saw this great, I, um, I love to follow like healing messages on social media, on like Instagram. I follow a lot of like therapists and healers. And I saw this, this thing recently from one who said, you know, when a baby is born, you look at that baby. And like, if you, if, if there was a scale of worthiness from like zero to 100, you look at that baby and you're like a hundred, they are worthy. We they're love worthy. this baby and they're not doing anything. Right. They're not creating, you know what I mean? They're just there. They're just existing. Mm -hmm. And that's it. But somehow along the way, we forget that we're just yes, as worthy as the day we were um, when we were born. 
And so I think if anything for these young kids, if we can gift, gift them or help them realize from a young age, like three, four, five, six, like give them this messaging, like no matter what happens, no matter what feeling or thought you have, love is always inside of you. And that's always there and it's not going anywhere. And that's powerful. So they don't feel alone. That's it. And I feel a lot of them feel alone. And of course, friends make fun. Yeah. You know, they're judgmental or they look at now with all the social media, you know, uh, girls or guys, you know, very uh, thin, you know, uh, not knowing that it could be, you know, um, you know, with Adobe and all that, you know, fixed. Mm -hmm. And then they, they say, well, gee, I want to look that way. And that's when a lot of this, this, the eating disorders, you know, begin. Very much so. And I think it's, um, it's so much of eating disorders have been stigmatized and misunderstood for so long, because I think a lot of times people think it's like an extreme diet and someone's just trying to be skinny. And that's really like what it's about when it's so about like, that's maybe the, the symptom of what it's really about. And I think, especially in those, those critical years of like nine, 10, 11, 12, like when kids are really mean to each other and judgmental and everyone's probably they're all feeling uncomfortable and alone. And it's some of them, you know, try to be mean to, you know, I don't know all the ways people do the things they do. Um, but then you, it's like, at least in my experience, I think when I was that young age, I just believed it. I took it on. I believed all the mean things Mm -hmm. And, and I took it on and I started to believe that, yeah, well, something must be wrong with me. And so if we can tell them or stop them or help them believe like nothing's wrong with you, that's right. not about you. What they're saying is not about you. It's a reflection of how they feel about themselves. I mean, gosh, that's the life lesson that we're all still learning, right? <laughs> well, that's it. Not, you know, I always told, told I mean, my, my, my son and daughter, I mean, they're in their late forties, almost in the fifties. And I would always tell them, you know, be careful of the words that you say to your children because it's like a little seed imprinted in that mind. And then that seed grows into a, you know, it starts sprouting into a large tree. And then if you say, you know, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're fat, you're this, that, they're going to believe that that's who they are. So our words, you know, as parents and, and whether you are a parent or not, what we say, we really need to be careful with. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And it's not, it's, it's what you're saying to yourself too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we're always the meanest to ourselves. Oh, we're yes. always the most judgment. We reserve all the judgment and meanness mm-hmm. for ourselves. A lot of us, you know, and so whether we're saying some comment that we just are used to, to ourselves, like, Oh, I, I need to stop eating French fries. I don't know. I'm just making one up uh-huh. In front of our, our kids. They can, they can really take that on to mean something totally yeah, it's different. Like deeper than what deeper. maybe we think. Mm-hmm. To be really, I think that's really important to be really mindful of, of our words and what we're saying. And I think especially with the, the putting ourselves down, I think a lot of us like, oh, I'm so stupid. Or why did I do that again? Or, oh God, <laughs> all those things, you know, that we just do. Yes. Like our kids are listening. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, they're doing it. And if you they're not doing what you're saying. I mean, they're hearing what you're saying, but they're uh-huh. going to do what you do. And if you're doing that to yourself, they're going to start doing it to themselves. Well, it's funny because I, you know, I, I started writing a second book and then one day sitting here at my desk, I said, why am I writing another book? Why am I doing this? I mean, I was starting to doubt myself and here comes my husband and he looked and he says, are you doubting yourself that you can write a second book? And I was, I was. And then I said, oh, Barbara, come on now. Of course you can do this. Just get moving with it and, and, and you'll, you'll finish it soon. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm still writing it, but it's, it's about 70% done now. So hey, that's amazing. <laughs> Good for yeah. you. So, it, you know, it's, it's like, we, we're our worst enemies actually. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, um, I think too, in this, in my experience, it, 
when I grew up and I just started to believe that these things were wrong with me and I was too sensitive and I was too emotional and, and I just like, wasn't quite right. Like I wasn't like everybody else, like whatever the stories you tell yourself to, then you just, then you put the judgment on top of that. And it's just this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, yes. you, it never ends. I know. So, so now you're singing. So how has actually music affected your life since you're filming? since you're finishing this, you know, shapeless and now it's out, you know, in the world. Uh -huh. I feel so thankful for this journey because it brought me back to my voice and it brought me back to music. And, and I, um, I started to just sing again, like little by little, like after shapeless was filmed, cause I, I had to do it. Right. So I was like, okay, well, I think I want to just like keep singing. And I started to kind of play guitar with shapeless too. Just like, Learn, teaching myself a few chords and um, that kind of thing. And so I started to just sing. I would just start singing in the shower and singing in the car and singing. And I had, that was new. Cause I, I was, it was very quiet for a long time. I hadn't even really listened to music for a while. Um, Cause it was too painful. Cause I would start to try to sing along and I was like, Oh, I got to turn this off. Uh, so little by little, I started to sing more and more and more. And um, I, feel like it, it, I feel like it really came back into my existence too. When I was going through a divorce, I was grieving and my ex-husband and I are on very good terms now. And we thankfully thoughtfully co-parent our daughter together. Uh, but uh, over a year ago, when I was first going through it, it's interesting how grief can like be this big teacher. And I was going through all the feelings and the emotions and I would just little by little, just pick up the guitar, like go to the piano and just learn chords of a song or just sing a song and sing. And I would just kind of get obsessed with certain songs that would really help. I think songs can feel like prayers, you know, like they are right. And music is, the, is like the oldest art form, maybe that in storytelling, like we all have it. We think it's reserved for the musicians, but we all, we all have it all in it, in us. And so little by little, I started doing that. And um, I'm now with a new partner, my, my boyfriend, Will Dickerson. He is a singer, songwriter, music therapist in New Orleans, musician. And he's very kind and encouraging and supportive and intuitive. And we started to sing together. We started to do duets and things like that. And he was really integral as well in supporting me in, in singing again you know, and saying, you, you have a good, like, sing, just, just let it out. Uh, you shared something with me, one of your, your songs. And remember, I even said to you, wow, why are you writing this? You have an incredible, beautiful voice. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. I have been really scared. I've been really scared or, 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 and also felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I couldn't do it anymore because I already ruined it. But it's it's been such a mental thing because I can, you can. sing. I mean, it's oh, yes. I have to take more breaths. I can't, you know, sing all night long. Like I'm going to lose my capacity more quickly than maybe someone who hasn't struggled like I have. Um, but I can still sing. And the more and more and more I do it, the more free I feel and the more I remember how fun it is. So I don't know where it's going to go from here. I've been writing like some original things. I'm, I'm still beginner at like guitar. I have a little more experience on the piano. Um, but I, what I do when I, when I go to new Orleans, I'll go to my partner's shows and sing duets with them. And I'll, um, bring my children's books and try to sing books yes, there. there Cause it's, it's about, it's a, like a Louisiana lo local book. Um, but it's, it's amazing. It's, I feel really thankful that he lets me hop up there and sing with him. And sh he shares that space with, with me. And I just, I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful that I feel this way about singing again and not all the fear that I felt. Have you ever uh, wrote a song about your, the, the illness, you know, uh, and 
maybe have it really out there to help other, you know, teenagers and kids and adults oh, even. Uh, great idea, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Not well, yet. Maybe you should because, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Because uh, a lot of, you know, these songs that are so emotionally felt, uh, people can relate to. And I know, you know, you, with, with something that you do like that, without a doubt, it's relatable. And and it would most likely, well, I, I wouldn't say most likely, it can heal so many uh, other, you know, teenagers and adults. I hope so. I think that there's something that's so obviously powerful about music. And that's mm -hmm. also something that I was doing while I was meditating. A lot of my meditations were like sound healing meditations I would mm -hmm. be drawn to where I, music would just sort of heal you like vibrations and frequencies. And I really am drawn to that. And I think the thing about music and song and art is it transmutes these feelings. It, mm -hmm. it, it there's a, there's a universality to it where you can say, Oh yeah, I felt, I feel that I felt that way. And then you can feel it release it through the song. You know, there was one song, uh, it was called you say, I think, I, I don't remember uh, she sounded like Adele, um, but it, when I listened to it, she talks about, you know, being loved and, and accepted. And I had to listen to that about three years ago. And I just over and over again, when I said, you know, yes, I am love. I am accepted of myself. I am who I am. And it, though music definitely helps others to heal. I think so too. I think that um, whether we're aware of it or not, it's it's primal. It's it's something in us. It's there. Whether you think you have rhythm or you, you're tone deaf or whatever it is, like music can really still help you if you if you allow or open your mind to listening to it or just being around it or um, being a supporter of it, I think it can open you up to your own ways that you can be creative too. Now, uh, uh, does your daughter uh, play an instrument or wants to, or she, acting, or <laughs> she sort of reminds me of like a young version of me. Like uh -huh. she's very creative. She loves playing pretend. We're always playing this super penguin game where we're penguins and uh, <laughs> uh -huh. she's, really, she's always creating like these little songs and singing and she's she's good like she's singing on key and she's like singing on a pitch so oh. I see these little like these buds in her um so I just support her I just yeah, encourage I'm, I'm like what are you interested in she has like a little guitar that she'll kind of pick up here and there um and I I just I want to be this like supportive person for her to yes. gently, gently guide or nudge, but not force. Um, so I, I just try to embrace her and I just play, I try to play along. Just play along. Yeah. Do you feel that uh, you know, with you being a mom that actually influenced you on how you approach the making of your films, uh, you know, uh, yes. a thousand, 9,000 yeah. infinity percent. I think one, it was Fallon was the, was the biggest reason I was doing it. Okay. You know, to say like, okay, why I want to create this thing. So it's, it's out there for my daughter one day, but then for everyone else's kids or these young kids or, and I think what film can do is it can really create a gateway for uncomfortable conversations to be like, Hey, you saw that movie. What do you think that's about? You know, and you can start kind of, mm -hmm. kind of talking. Um, but as far as like, how it affected me in the way I approached shapeless. I think when you really put yourself in your kids' shoes and when you really look at them and you say, and you look at their big feelings, and sometimes those are hard to deal with, but you mm -hmm. look at them and you say, gosh, like they don't have the tools that I have. They don't understand what I understand. Everything mm -hmm. is bigger and scarier. Like, you know, and you look at them and you kind of empathize with them and you get on their level. I think that can really help you see everybody else around you too. Mm -hmm. And you, th if you think about your inner child and you think, okay, well, everyone else has an inner child too. Then we just have these little kiddos in our hearts and we're all walking around and that little kiddo just needs a little love and needs mm -hmm. to be seen and heard and understood. 
I think it's, it's definitely affected me in the way that I approach my work and the way I approach others and my community around me is thinking in a more childlike sense. Well, yeah. And seeing things from their eyes, you know, yeah. through their, that, we don't have to have all the answers. I think no. you, you put so much pressure on ourselves, especially in creative endeavors, like, you know, mm-hmm. and some of it is ours that we, you know, want to create or want to bring out into the world. And then sometimes it's, it's, we need help. Sometimes we need collaborators. Sometimes we need supporters. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's having that, um, one awareness that like we, we have the confidence to listen to our own hearts and be our own advocates. And then also being open, being yes. open to collaboration, being open to other ideas and what someone else might have to say about it, that we don't have to be the one to figure it all out. Well, exactly. Because we, we do need, we, I feel we all need help no matter who we are. Yeah. And you don't know where it's going to come from. No, no, you we don't, don't know, know where. No, like we don't know what, who's going to speak, where spirit's going to speak through, mm-hmm. if it's going to speak through another person that you just randomly run into on the side of the street or, yep. you know, anywhere. That's why I always say, be mindful of, it, of all your surroundings and be aware because there, there's always, we always get messages from everywhere. So let's, yeah. so let me ask you, I mean, the project is done. The movie is out. I've watched it twice. It blew me away that it actually helped me with a situation with some of the children and teenagers I know. Um, Now, I know the project inspired you in an incredible way. So what other creative endeavors are, are you looking to do from this film, Shapeless? Well, thank you again. Thank you for watching it twice. And I'm I, I had thankful. to watch it twice. Yeah. The I'm first so time was emotional. So it I, I need to take the emotion out and say, all right, just watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. I, um, you know, so we're, we're still in the process of like sending her off into the world. You can watch her on um, her shapeless. You can watch shapeless on <laughs> Apple TV and Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. um, Google Play, Vudu, and cable on demand. It'll be streaming in May. And uh, I, as far as like what I want to do next, I feel like I'm simmering. I feel like I'm marinating. I feel like I'm I'm just kind of allowing some space at mm-hmm. this time. And I really feel drawn to singing. I feel drawn to music. Mm-hmm. And I also feel drawn to maybe another kid's book right now but on top of all that acting always I hope I book some more things and just keep acting so you have what the the one book the one children's book I do I do I have one kid's book it's called zoo crew and it's spelled crew with a k like Mm k-r-e-w-e so any of you listening who are from New Orleans or familiar with Louisiana or New Orleans and Mardi Gras a crew is like a Mardi Gras crew it's like a group of people that put on the parades and so it's called zoo crew it's a little like alphabet book with these short sentences where each word starts with the same letter of the book in the alphabet and it's animals. And then it's teaching kids about like Louisiana words and like new Orleans words. Cause we have a lot of cool words. <laughs> just you like know? Brooklyn, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Just like Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, just like Brooklyn. <laughs> oh yeah. So it's got, it's got like that localized feel, but if you just love Louisiana or new Orleans, it's super cute too. Cause it kind of teaches you about um, our culture. So are you going to write another children's book? I hope so. I think the next one will might be a little broader, might not be as localized, but I have a couple of ideas bouncing around. I've just, I think with, when it comes to creativity and produce and creating whatever it is, whether it's mm-hmm. art or whatever you're doing, that's maybe um, of your own creation. Yes. It can't be forced. No, it can't, it can't be, you know, put on this timeline of like, it it sort of, you have to, I think there's moments of inertia where you're like going with it. And then there's moments where you're resting and you're like allowing it to just be what it needs to be. And also you have to live your life and have life experiences in order to inform what you want to do. That's why writing a book sometimes takes a very long time. Absolutely. Or your film, you know, that must have taken years to put together. 
Yes, years. I first had the idea when I was in treatment for bulimia back when I was, uh, that was about 11 years ago. Wow. And I, I didn't write or anything back then. Back then I, I had the idea and I was like, no one's going to watch that movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now the doubting, uh -huh. doubting voice gets in there. Uh -huh. And it took a long time to get to get it going. Um, and and now when I look back, I see, oh, okay, all, these experiences kind of also had to happen in order for it to kind of coincide and go along. Right. But there's no rush. I think no. we think there's a rush to do these things. And um, no, you're not behind. I have to tell myself that a lot. Yeah, me. I have to say to myself, all right, you know, you have more to write, but it, it'll it'll be done in its spiritual timing when that timing is right. That's a good one to keep mm -hmm. in our back pocket, right? Yes. Because ultimately, we're not in control. No, we're not. <laughs> right? We want to be, but we're not. That's, uh, that's a big one. I'm still always learning. Oh, <laughs> me too. I, I know. I, I mm -hmm. it's a constant learning lesson there. Um, and there's so much of this experience of life that we can't control. And that's hard to accept sometimes. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you, there can be a level of freedom where you say, okay, I can't control this. This is divine timing. This is not my timing. So we hopefully can somehow release or allow, um, but that can be maddening. Sometimes that can be really frustrating. frustrating. You have to go back into your heart. Yes. <laughs> and trust and find the faith and like mm -hmm. spirit in the universe that, that, okay, this isn't just mine to figure out. I have no. to trust somewhere. So let me ask you a question. What would you say to the average teenager that's going through this situation? How should they accept themselves? I wish I could hug them all. Mm -hmm. And I see you and I hear you and I understand you and you are not alone. Mm -hmm. And if you feel alone, I understand if there is some person in your atmosphere that feels safe, it doesn't have to be a family member. It doesn't have to be a teacher or a friend, hopefully a school counselor or anyone who feels safe, a coach. If there's someone you can open up to and say, I'm, I'm feeling these feelings like I, you know, try, try to just open up or, or, mm -hmm. or send them an article or a book or my movie or something just that something. says, I think this is what I'm dealing with, but I can't talk about, there's something I'm dealing with, but it's really hard for me to talk about. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I hope that they're met with an empathetic understanding yes. voice, because I think a lot of times, I, and I'm just putting myself in the experience of like being a mom we feel scared. We want to save that kid. We want to help that kid. We want to say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't feel that way. It's okay. It's okay. And they're going to be feeling it anyway. And our feelings anyway. are meant to be felt. So I think if like your feelings are valid, there's, and, and also there's nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with you. You're sick and that's okay. You're just sick right now. It's temporary. It's not mm -hmm. going to be there forever. Right. And there's nothing wrong with you. You at your core are made of love and that can never be touched. Exactly. So if you can believe that and go back to that, I think that's number one, but also it's okay to get help. Yes. It's more than okay to get help and humans need other humans. And especially when you're sick and you feel alone, you isolate more. And I really understand that. And it's the, the first step is the hardest to just yes. speak it out loud. But if you can somehow speak something out loud to someone, I hope that that helps. Oh, those are true words. Believe me. I hope that it helps. And even if mm -hmm. they don't give you the response that you're hoping for, or that response doesn't feel safe. And I'm sorry that that, and I, I understand because that's happened to me before too, mm -hmm. um, I hope that they can remember to go back to the truth that that response wasn't about them, them, right. that was about their, that other person's fear. Mm -hmm. And there's other people out there who aren't going to feel so scared and are going to be able to help you. Well, yeah. And that's the truth. Yeah. No matter, no matter what the situation is.
yeah, we, mm-hmm. we forget, you know, we forget, we feel so alone or we feel like we're going to be a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, you know, we don't want to hurt our family or our friends or our loved ones. So we think I'll figure this out. I'll get this. I'll figure this out, you know? Um, but we, we can't always figure it out alone. No, no and it's okay to get help. That doesn't mean you're weak in any way. Actually, that makes the, it, it shows you that you have the strength and the courage to go out there and finally know that, yes, I do need someone to help me. I agree, Barbara. I think mm-hmm. the, the, it actually shows, yeah, it's showing how strong you are because yeah. the, the bravest thing you can do, I believe, is to mm-hmm. be vulnerable. Yes. Yes. To be vulnerable because it's the scariest. If mm-hmm. you think about it, right? Like you feel probably the sca- most scared when you feel vulnerable. And so if you think of it like that, well, then being vulnerable is the bravest thing you can do. Exactly. Cause it overcomes our fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly, where can people find your movie, find you and yes. everything else that you're doing? Oh, awesome. <laughs> um, so you can follow me on Instagram. I'm uh, at Kelly Murtaugh, just my name. And at Shapeless, the film is also an Instagram. And we're updating things with like how you can watch on Shapeless. And as far as Shapeless, you can watch it now. You can watch it on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Google Play, Vudu, Cable VOD. And then in May, it'll be streaming somewhere. So please follow. I'll be updating where it's streaming. And Zoo Crew, you can buy on Amazon. You can buy on Barnes & Noble. Uh, if you find yourself in New Orleans, go to all the local bookstores and buy Zoo Crew because that's my favorite way to do it. And um, yeah, other than that, thank you. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for for watching. And I'm wishing everyone just love and peace and joy and a breath. Yes. Yes. It's important <laughs> to breathe. Yeah. And breathe. Please and breathe. <laughs> well, thank you. So I, I cannot thank you enough for this. This was an incredible interview and uh, very inspiring. And, and I know your movie inspired me to help those close to me also. So, um, yeah. And it gave me different, uh, insight, you know, how to approach certain challenges. Well, thank you, Barbara. You are also so inspiring and I appreciate your work and your bravery and what you do and all that you are. So thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And, uh, thank you everybody for listening today. And a very big thank you to Kelly. You're welcome. And I, <laughs> and I hope that you heard what you needed to hear. And uh, visit me at motivateyourlife.net. And please subscribe to this YouTube channel, The Spiritual Warrior Coach. We're also on um, Amazon, Apple, um, iHeartRadio, Spotify. And uh, two and a half months ago, we actually are now international. So seen in a lot of other countries, yay. <laughs> so for those of you who may be interested in learning about energy healing, maybe check out my book, Gentle Energy Touch, um, The Beginner's Guide to Hands-On Healing on Amazon. So um, I know you enjoyed this uh, interview as much as I did. And, uh, and I'm sure you've all learned a lot. And uh, thank you again, Kelly, for this. I really appreciate and admire you. You have no idea how much I admire you. (laughs) And uh, thank you, everybody. And um, have a beautiful uh, week filled with love and with light. Love, Barbara.